Claudius Part Two of the Lives of the Twelve Caesars by Gaius Suetonius Tranquillus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alan Steely. He likewise assumed the censorship which had been discontinued since the time that Paulus and Plancus had jointly held it. But this he also administered very unequally, and with a strange variety of humour and conduct. In his review of the knights he passed over, without any mark of disgrace, a profligate young man, only because his father spoke of him in the highest terms. For, said he, his father is his proper censor. Another, who was infamous for debauching youths and for adultery, he only admonished. To indulge his youthful inclinations more sparingly, or at least more cautiously, adding, why must I know what mistress you keep? When, at the request of his friends, he had taken off a mark of infamy, which he had set upon one knight's name, he said, Let the blot, however, remain. He not only struck out of the list of judges, but likewise deprived of the freedom of Rome, an illustrious man of the highest provincial rank in Greece, only because he was ignorant of Latin language. Nor in this review did he suffer any one to give an account of his conduct by an advocate, but obliged each man to speak for himself in the best way he could. He disgraced many, and some that little expected it, and for a reason entirely new, namely, for going out of Italy without his license. And one likewise, for having in his provenance been the familiar companion of a king, observing that in former times Rabirius Posthumus had been prosecuted for treason, although he only went after Ptolemy to Alexandria, for the purpose of securing payment of a debt. Having tried to brand with disgrace several others, he, to his own greater shame, found them generally innocent, through the negligence of the persons employed to inquire into their characters, those whom he charged with living in celibacy, with want of children, or estate, proving themselves to be husbands, parents, and in affluent circumstances. One of the knights who was charged with stabbing himself laid his bosom bare to show that there was not the least mark of violence upon his body. The following incidents were remarkable in his censorship. He ordered a car, plated with silver and of a very sumptuous workmanship, which was exposed for sale in the Sigillaria, to be purchased and broken in pieces before his eyes. He published twenty proclamations in one day, in one of which he advised the people since the vintage was very plentiful to have their casks well secured at the bung with pitch. And in another he told them that nothing would sooner cure the bite of a viper than the sap of a yew tree. He undertook one expedition, and that was of short duration. The triumphal ornaments decreed him by Senate he considered as beneath the imperial dignity, and was therefore resolved to have the honour of a real triumph. For this purpose he selected Britain, which had never been attempted by anyone since Julius Caesar, and was then chafing with rage, because the Romans would not give up some deserters. Accordingly, he set sail from Ostia, but was twice very nearly wrecked by the boisterous wind called Circius, upon the coast of Liguria, and near the islands called Stockades. Having marched by land from Marseilles to Gessorium, he thence passed over to Britain, and part of the island submitted to him within a few days after his arrival, without battle or bloodshed. 
he returned to Rome in less than six months from the time of his departure, and triumphed in the most solemn manner, to witness which he not only gave leave to the governors of provinces to come to Rome, but even to some of the exiles. Among the spoils taken from the enemy, he fixed upon the bedament of his house in the Patium, a naval crown, in token of his having passed, and, as it were, conquered the ocean, and had it suspended near the civic crown, which was there before. Messalina, his wife, followed his chariot in a covered litter. Those who had attended the honour of triumphal ornaments in the same war rode behind. The rest followed on foot, wearing the robe with the broad stripes. Crassus Frugi was mounted upon a horse, richly caparisoned in a robe embroidered with palm leaves, because this was the second time of his obtaining that honour. He paid particular attention to the care of the city, and to have it well supplied with provisions. A dreadful fire happened in Ameliana, which lasted some time. He passed two nights in the Dribatorium, and the soldiers and the gladiators not being in sufficient numbers to extinguish it, he caused the magistrates to summon the people out of all the streets in the city to their assistance. Placing bags of money before him, he encouraged them to do their utmost, declaring that he would reward everyone on the spot according to their exertions. During a scarcity of provisions occasioned by bad crops for several successive years, he was stopped in the middle of the forum by a mob, who so abused him at the same time pelting him with fragments of bread, that he had some difficulty in escaping into the palace by the back door. He therefore used all possible means to bring provisions into the city, even in the winter. He proposed to the merchants a sure profit, by indemnifying them against any loss that might befall them by storms at sea, and granted great privileges to those who built ships for that traffic. To a citizen of Rome he gave an exemption from the Papia Popian law, to one who had only the privilege of Latium, the freedom of the city, and to women the rights which by law belonged to those who had four children, which enactments are in force to this day. He completed some important public works, which, though not numerous, were very useful. The principal were an aqueduct, which had been begun by Caius, an emissary for the discharge of waters of the Fusian Lake, and the harbour of Ostia. Although he knew that Augustus had refused to comply with a repeated application from the Marcians for one of these, and that the other had been several times intended by Julius Caesar, but as often abandoned on account of difficulty of its execution. He brought to the city the cool and plentiful springs of the Claudian water, one of which is called Cerulius, and the other Curtius and Albundius, as likewise the river of the new Anio in a stone canal, and distributed them into many magnificent reservoirs. The canal from the Fusian Lake was undertaken as much for the sake of profit as for the honour of the enterprise, for there were parties who offered to drain it at their own expense, on condition of their having a grant of the land laid dry. With great difficulty he completed a canal three miles in length, partly by cutting through and partly by tunnelling a mountain, thirty thousand men being constantly employed in the work for eleven years. He formed the harbour at Ostia by carrying out circular piers on the right and on the left, with a mole protecting in deep water the entrance to the port. To secure the foundation of this mole, he sunk the vessel in which the great obelisk had been brought from Egypt, and built upon piles a very lofty tower in imitation of the pharaohs at Alexandria, on which lights were burnt to direct mariners in the night. 
he often distributed largesses of corn and money amongst the people, and entertained them with a great variety of public magnificent spectacles, not only such as were usual and in the accustomed places, but some of new invention and others revived from ancient models, and exhibited in places where nothing of the kind had ever before been attempted. In the games which he presented at the dedication of Pompey's theatre, which had been burnt down, and was rebuilt by him, he presided upon a tribunal, erected for him in the orchestra, having first paid his devotions in the temple above, and then coming down through the centre of the circle, while all the people kept their seats in profound silence. He likewise exhibited the secular games, giving out that Augustus had anticipated the regular period, though he himself says in his history that they had been omitted before the age of Augustus, who had calculated the years with great exactness, and again brought them to their regular period. The crier was therefore ridiculed when he invited people in the usual form to games which no person had ever before seen, nor ever would again, when many were still living, who had already seen them, and some of the performers who had formerly acted in them were now again brought upon the stage. He likewise frequently celebrated the Circian games in the Vatican, sometimes exhibiting a hunt of wild beasts after every five courses. He embellished the Circus Maximus with marble barriers and gilded golds which before were of common stone and wood, and assigned proper places for the senators who were used to sitting promiscuously with the other spectators. Besides the chariot races, he exhibited there the Trojan game, and wild beasts from Africa, which were encountered by a troop of Praetorian knights, with their tribunes, and even the prefect at the head of them, besides Thessalian horse, who drive fierce bulls around the circus, leaping upon their backs when they have exhausted their fury, and drag them by their horns to the ground. He gave exhibitions of gladiators in several places, and of various kinds, one yearly on the anniversary of his accession in the Praetorian camp, but without any hunting or the usual apparatus, another in the sceptre as usual, and in the same place, another out of the common way, and of a few days' continuance only, which he called Sportula, because when he was going to present it, he informed the people by proclamation that he had invented them to a late supper, that he had invited them to a late supper, got up in haste and without ceremony nor did he lend himself to any kind of public diversion with more freedom and hilarity, insomuch that he would hold out his left hand, and joined by the common people count upon his fingers aloud the gold pieces presented to those who came off conquerors. He would earnestly invite the company to be merry, sometimes calling them his masters, with a mixture of insipid, far-fetched jests. Thus, when the people called for Palumbus, he said, he would give them one when he could catch it. The following was well intended and well timed, having amidst great applause spared a gladiator on the intercession of his four sons. He sent a billet immediately around to the theatre, to remind the people how much it behoved them to get children, since they had before them an example of how useful they had been in procuring favour and security for a gladiator. He likewise represented in the Campus Martius the assault and sacking of a town and the surrender of the British kings, presiding in his general's cloak. Immediately before he drew off the waters from the Fusian lake, he exhibited upon it a naval fight, but the combatants on board the fleets cried out, Health attend you, noble emperor! We who are about to peril our lives salute you! And he replying, Health attend you too! And they all refused to fight, as if by that response he had meant to excuse them 
Upon this he hesitated for a time whether he should not destroy them all with fire and sword. At last, leaping from his seat and running along the shore of the lake with tottering steps, the result of his foul excesses, he partly by fair words and partly by threats persuaded them to engage. This spectacle represented an engagement between the fleets of Sicily and Rhodes, consisting each of twelve ships of war, of three banks of oars. The signal for the encounter was given by the silver triton, raised by machinery from the middle of the lake. With regard to religious ceremonies, the administration of affairs, both civil and military, and the condition of all orders of the people at home and abroad, some practices he corrected, others which had been laid aside he revived, and some regulations he introduced which were entirely new. In appointing new priests for the several colleges, he made no appointments without being sworn. When an earthquake happened in the city, he never failed to summon the people together by the praetor, and appoint holidays for sacred rites. And upon the sight of any ominous bird in the city or capital, he issued an order for the supplication, the words of which, by virtue of his office of high priest, after an exhortation from the rostra, he recited in the presence of the people, who repeated them after him, all workmen and slaves being first ordered to withdraw. The courts of Judicata, whose sittings had been formally divided between the summer and winter months, he ordered for dispatch of business to sit the whole year round. The jurisdiction in matters of trust, which used to be granted annually by a special commission to certain magistrates, and in the city only, he made permanent, and extended the provincial judges likewise. He altered the clause added by Tiberius to the Papia Popian law, which inferred that men of sixty years of age were incapable of begetting children. He ordered that out of the ordinary course of proceeding, orphans might have guardians appointed to them by the consuls, and that those who were banished from any province by the chief magistrate should be debarred from coming into the city or any part of Italy. He inflicted upon certain persons a new sort of banishment, by forbidding them to depart further than three miles from Rome. When any affair of importance came before the Senate, he used to sit between the two consuls upon the seats of the tribunes. He reserved for himself the power of granting license to travel out of Italy, which before had belonged to the Senate. He likewise granted the consular ornaments to his ducinarian procurators. From those who declined the senatorian dignity, he took away the equestrian. Although he had in the beginning of his reign declared that he would admit no man into the senate who was not the great-grandson of a Roman citizen, yet he gave the broad hem to the son of a freed man on condition that he should be adopted by a Roman knight. Being afraid, however, of incurring censure by such an act, he informed the public that his ancestor, Appius Caius, the censor, had elected the sons of the freemen into the Senate, for he was ignorant, it seems, that in the times of Appius, and a long time afterwards, persons manumitted were not called freemen, but only their sons who were freeborn. Instead of the expense which the College of Questors was obliged to incur in paving the highways, he ordered them to give the people an exhibition of gladiators, and relieving them of the provinces of Ostia and Gaul, he reinstated them in charge of the treasury, which, since it had been taken from them, had been managed by praetors, or those who had formerly filled that office. He gave the triumphal ornaments to Silanus, who was betrothed to his daughter, though he was under age, and in other cases he bestowed them on so many, and with so little reserve, that there is extant a letter unanimously addressed to him, 
by all the legions, begging him to grant his consular lieutenants the triumphal ornaments at the time of their appointment to commands, in order to prevent their seeking occasion to engage in unnecessary wars. He decreed to Alanus Plautius the honour of the ovation, going to meet him at his entering the city, and walking with him in the procession to the capital and back, in which he took the left side, giving him the post of honour. He allowed Gabinius Secundus, upon his conquest of Chaucy, a German tribe, to assume the cognomen of Chaucius. His military organisation of the equestrian order was this. After having the command of the cohort, they were promoted to a wing of auxiliary horse, and subsequently received the commission of tribune of a legion. He raised a body of militia who were called supernumeraries, who, though they were a sort of soldier and kept in reserve, yet received pay. He procured an act of the Senate to prohibit all soldiers from attending senators at their houses, in the way of respect and compliment. He confiscated the estates of all freed men, who presumed to take upon themselves the equestrian rank. Such of them as were ungrateful to their patrons, and were complained of by them, he reduced to their former condition of slavery, and declared to their advocates that he would always give judgment against the freed men, in a suit at law, which the masters might happen to have with them. Some persons, having exposed their sick slaves in a languishing condition on the island of Asculapius, because of the tedious nature of their cure, he declared all who were so exposed perfectly free, never more to return, if they should recover, to their former servitude, and that if any one chose to kill at once rather than expose a slave, he should be liable for murder. He purchased a proclamation forbidding all travellers to pass through towns of Italy, any otherwise than on foot, or in a litter or chair. He quartered a cohort of soldiers at Puteoli, and another at Ostia, to be in readiness against any accidents from fire. He prohibited foreigners from adopting Roman names, especially those which belonged to families. Those who falsely pretended to the freedom of Rome he beheaded on the Esquiline. He gave up to the Senate the provinces of Achaia and Macedonia, which Tiberius had transferred to his own administration. He deprived the Lycians from their liberties, as a punishment for their fatal dissensions, but restored to the Rhodians their freedom upon their repenting of their former misdemeanours. He exonerated forever the people of Ilium from the payment of taxes, as being the founders of the Roman race, reciting upon the occasion a letter in Greek from the Senate and people of Rome to King Seleucus, on which they promised him their friendship and alliance, provided that he would grant their kinsmen, Hellensians, immunity from all burdens. He banished from Rome all Jews who were continually making disturbances at the instigation of one Crestus. He allowed the ambassadors of the Germans to sit at the public spectacles in seats assigned to the senators, being induced to grant them favours by their frank and honourable conduct. For, having been seated in rows of benches, which were common to the people, on observing the Parthian and Armenian ambassadors sitting among the senators, they took upon themselves to cross over into the same seats as being, they said, no way inferior to the others, in point either of merit or rank. The religious rites of the Druids, solemnized with such horrid cruelties, which had only been forbidden the citizens of Rome during the reign of Augustus, he utterly abolished among the Gauls. On the other hand, he attempted to transfer the Eleusian mysteries from Attica to Rome. He likewise ordered the temple of Venus, Erisina, in Sicily, 
which was old and in ruinous condition, to be repaired at the expense of the Roman people. He concluded treaties with foreign princes in the forum, with the sacrifice of a sow and the form of words used by the heralds in former times. But in these and other things, and indeed the greater part of his administration, he was directed not so much by his own judgment, as by the influence of his wives and freed men, from the most part acting in conformity to what their interests or fancies dictated. He was twice married at the very early age, first to Amelia Lepida, the granddaughter of Augustus, and afterwards to Livia Medulina, who had the cognomen of Camilla, and was descended from the old dictator Camillus. The former he divorced while still a virgin, because her parents had incurred the displeasure of Augustus, and he lost the latter by sickness on the day fixed for their nuptials. He next married Plotia Ergulanilla, whose father had enjoyed the honour of a triumph, and soon afterwards Aelia Paetina, the daughter of a man of consular rank, but he divorced them both, Paetina upon some trifling cause of disgust, and Ergulanilla for scandalous lewdness, and the suspicion of murder. After them he took in marriage Valeria Messalina, the daughter of Barbatus Messalana, his cousin, but finding that besides her other shameful debaucheries, she had even gone so far as to marrying in his own absence Caius Silas, the settlement of her dower being formally signed in the presence of augurs, he put her to death. Then summoning his praetorians to his presence, he made them this declaration, As I have been so unhappy in my unions, I am resolved to continue in future unmarried, and if I should not, I give you leave to stab me. He was, however, unable to persist in this resolution, for he began immediately to think of another wife, and even of taking back Petina, whom he had formerly divorced. He thought also of Lolia Paulia, who had been married to Caius Caesar, but being ensnared by the arts of Agrippina, the daughter of his brother Germanicus, who took advantage of the kisses and endearments which their near relationship admitted to inflame his desires, he got someone to propose at the next meeting of the Senate that they should oblige the emperor to marry Agrippina, as a measure highly conducive to the public interest, and that in future liberty should be given for such marriages, which until that time had been considered incestuous. In less than twenty-four hours after this, he married her. No person was found, however, to follow the example, excepting one freedman, and a centurion of the first rank, at the solemnization of whose nuptials both he and Agrippina attended. He had children by three of his wives, by Ergulanilla, Drusus, and Claudia, by Petina, Antonia, and by Messalinia, Octavia, and also a son, whom at first he called Germanicus, but afterwards Britannicus. He lost Drusus at Pompey when he was very young, he being choked with a pear, which in his play he tossed into the air and caught in his mouth, and a few days before he had betrothed him to one of Sejanus's daughters, and I am therefore surprised that some authors should say he lost his life by treachery of Sejanus. Claudia, who was in truth the daughter of Bota, his freed man, though she was born five months before his divorce, he ordered to be thrown naked at her mother's door. He married Antonia to Snaeus Pompey the Great, and afterwards to Fastus Scylla, both youths of very noble parentage, Octavia to his stepson Nero, and after she had been contracted to Slanus. Britannicus was born upon the twelfth day of his reign, and in his second consulship. He often earnestly commended him to the soldiers, holding him in his arms before their ranks, 
and would likewise show him to the people in the theatre, setting him upon his lap, or holding him out whilst he was still very young, and was sure to receive their acclamations and good wishes on his behalf. Of his sons-in-law, he adopted Nero. He not only dismissed from his favour both Pompey and Solanus, but put them to death. End of Claudius, Part 2 Recording by Alan Steely, Bristol, UK